Hey, it's Elle. And Anna. And you're listening to the Baby Project Podcast. In this podcast, we will discuss our journeys, as well as other warriors going through the ups and downs of infertility. Um, there's ups? <laughs> yes, there's ups. Okay. As a reminder, be kind to yourself and skip as needed. We know some topics may be triggering. Let's get talking. Never give up. We have Olga joining us today. Olga is a mindset and life coach for women, including those experiencing infertility or pregnancy after loss. Originally from Colombia, Olga has been enjoying our cold Canadian winters for 19 years. Welcome, Olga. Hello, everybody. Um, and thank you, ladies, for having me. My name is Olga Lacroix. I am excited to be here to just uh, share my personal infertility story as a woman who was diagnosed with uh, the most annoying diagnosis in the infertility world, in my opinion, which is uh, unexplained, yeah. <laughs> unexplained infertility, both my husband and I, because everything works and everything looks great. So five years later, I, I got to my son, which I'll tell you how. <laughs> nice. So how did you two meet you and your husband? Yeah, I met my husband here in Ottawa. So I'm in Ottawa and I met my husband here through Match.com. That's funny, but that's okay. how we met. And uh, we've been married eight years. Wow, congratulations. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, we should write to Match.com and just tell them how good of a job they did matching us. <laughs> write a testimony. Yeah, yeah, like a happy couple say. <laughs> um, so was it pretty, was it pretty like instant? Like the moment you guys... Instant. We were engaged a month after we met and married 10 months after. Do not do this at home, people. Do not do this at (laughs) home. Don't try doing this at home. We were lucky that it worked out because that was a bit crazy. Uh, But yeah, it was like a knowledge. Like, yeah. Yeah, you're my person. That's it. We're good. It's one of those things when you know, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean... I'm not going to lie, two years after we got married, we're like, who the heck did we marry? <laughs> like, and why did we marry this person? Because we were just getting to know each other. But uh, today, I'm quite thankful he's my partner. Like, we've been through hell <laughs> as, a, as, as a couple, as many couples go through infertility. And thank God he was uh, the partner that he is because, yeah, we survived it. We thrived. And uh, now we're good, really good co-parenting. Mm. Uh, partners as well so it was worth it that's so good to hear someone who's you know it right in the journey right now you know what I mean it's nice to hear that uh ladies we walk into an office of a couple's counselor asking how can we just divorce while still loving each other because of infertility we we didn't know it then that it was infertility like causing all this stress Mm -hmm. now now I can easily pinpoint that what was happening that mm-hmm. kind of taken a toll in the relationship so yes here from the other end <laughs> you make it through your communication gets better you're so much more patient uh I don't know he's seen me at my worst and I've seen him at his and so we survived that like there's nothing Mateo can do now that we're like what <laughs> this is crazy and too stressful for us we've been through hell so yeah it's a, it's a good feeling to have that you survived hell I went batshit crazy trying to conceive <laughs> there is no other way to put it I was like I don't know like, this is crazy. happening in today it, it's today I'm ovulating right now let's go uh for like 
for starters. And then any time I felt he was not as doing research or as into his whole baby making because he was saturated by all the information I had read. And I had become so strict about my diet, who I was, what I was doing, what I wasn't doing. Like, I, that's all I talk about was babies. Like no guy in the right mind finds that attractive long term. It's like, Jesus, can we talk about something else? So I, I see his points of view now very clearly at the moment. I thought it was very hurtful that he couldn't see it from my perspective. So mm-hmm. there was like no middle ground. Hormones, I would say definitely. And like the biological clock just clicking so loud, I could, couldn't hear my thoughts, you know? It was like, mm-hmm. I've got, and I do have low egg reserve now, we know that. So I think intuitively I knew this and that was my rush to just, get get it done you know I need yeah. to have babies now you're so on a mission <laughs> I was on a mission yes just give me my baby and then we'll figure this marriage thing after and it was like that's crazy I actually said those words so yeah that's how crazy I was and I'm normally pretty sane so I definitely went just bananas I feel like you're not the only uh, no. banana one in this bunch <laughs> no there's no lots I know. of us <laughs> um there's a whole bunch yeah. <laughs> What was like your original family plan? Like, what did that look like? So we got married that fast because I was 31. My husband is four years younger than me. So I was 31 and I already had in my head that it was too late to have babies. Can we all just laugh together at like me thinking that was the case? But again, I think intuitively, I must have known that I had low egg reserve. So even though I was 31, I probably already at that age had low egg reserve. Um, and so we were like, okay, let's get married and have children right away. But I was like, already, like the crazy had started. Okay. So I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, but then we have to get married soon because I want to have babies soon. Mm-hmm. And so we got married and, um, I, it, and I think in part that was our motivation was like to, to start our family. And that was important to the two of us to be married before I had been married before. And so this was like, we, I was obviously divorced already, and we, I, I don't know, it was important to us. Mm-hmm. We obviously thought we were going to have babies right away because what couple starts the trying to conceive journey not thinking, like, it's going to happen. I mean, I've met some that think it's going to take a long time, and they're the exception. They yeah. begin your journey that way, but that, that to us, we thought, and obviously we wanted to have three children, four children. I was, I'm one of five, he's one of three, so we're like a whole bunch of kids in the house. That would be great. We just want to have mm-hmm. children. Yeah, and uh, all of I'm one of five kids, and I'm the fourth. All of my siblings, my youngest had everybody has had had children, so I was like, okay, I'm the only one. Let's get this done. Mm-hmm. And so I had no evidence to believe that this was not going to happen for us. And neither did my husband. And my husband is the oldest of his family, mm-hmm. um, but oh, we didn't expect that it was going to take five long years of everything. Um, trying everything to get to finally one healthy baby boy so yeah well yeah well when your family members they are all like popping them out like there's nothing genetically anything like you wouldn't think that at all it was very surprising i'm a yoga teacher at the time i was practicing yoga on a regular basis like two healthy people you see you see us and you're like you just wouldn't assume Mm-hmm. ever like from our family history from what we do on our everyday that we would like and again these are all stereotypes that we like I had in my head prior to knowing anything right. about the fertility world so that was in my head and so I needless to say we were both a bit surprised um at the outcome that it wasn't that 
but yep. easy. Mm-hmm. That's the the sneaky thing about infertility. Mm. It doesn't discriminate. <laughs> it does not. It doesn't matter what you do or eat. No, it doesn't who matter you who are. you are. Yeah, exactly. No. How many kids your friends have? <laughs> it does not matter. Yeah, no, <laughs> you're gonna absolutely. be you, and it's so unique. You know, somebody's gonna hear my story today and think like, okay. I must have the same, like one of the biggest uh, uh, findings for us in our story that was very relevant was my intolerance to gluten. And that that was significant, very significant for us. And so a lot of people who hear my story stop eating gluten and they're not intolerant and it doesn't make a difference to their body at all. So I think that even while we hear stories, we have to be so just like, I don't want to say guarded, but just listen to somebody else's story and just thinking like that was their body. That was their story. You know, if your marriage is not struggling, don't try, don't try to not make it fit (laughs) the stereotype of like infertility couples. Uh, I think that each of us, it's it's so freaking unique, our bodies and our circumstances mm-hmm. that we try so hard to try and find somebody who has the same thing so that we know like what they're doing and how, and yet we're still so different. So yeah. again, for infertility is sneaky. <laughs> you cling to any like opportunity for hope, right? You cling to anything, any similarities that you find, you can cling on to. It's just, I remember to even just Googling symptoms or things like that and you're like okay rare finding of whatever is this me you know Mm -hmm. or even in the two-week wait oh gosh I know we could go on forever about that but you know is this symptom uh, a symptom of pregnancy pregnancy. oh my god it is it is all of them are yeah (laughs) like you can make up the most random symptom that you're having that day and you can find it somewhere on the internet so yeah yes we we try to draw those comparisons all the time and I think that might be you said we want to hold on to hope to me that is the only time in which I allow myself to compare to find hope mm-hmm. that's it anything else it's not allowed in my mindset I do not compare she's got three kids while I only have like I do not compare mm-hmm. my my story my body my existence to anybody unless is to grow my internal hope mm-hmm. you know and so like when you hear stories just grab the things that you say shit so she could do it i could do it too mm-hmm. that's it any any others any other comparison in my in my opinion has no place in my mind and in my mindset because i know what i'm gonna do with that and it's not pretty oh. <laughs> it's not that's nice a, that's a great message that is yeah. such a good take home yeah we it just can... started the podcast and there you go you can, <laughs> no, you can, you can turn now. it off now you can go home and just Mind your own business now. That's it. <laughs> it's yeah. so true. It can get ugly real fast when you start comparing. Like the grass is greener on the other side, and da 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 da. But we don't know their stories, and no. everyone, like you said, has a different story. I agree, a hundred percent. Yeah, and it's so unique. Your body is so interconnected to you, your mm-hmm. thoughts, your environment, you. You know, like, and you are not like anybody else. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the holding on to hope is my favorite thing to do is what I coach my people to do. I'm like, ladies, hope is your friend. And is the thing that I feel we so often want to give up on because we blame it as that's what's hurting me, the hope I had. I'm like, that's not what hurts you. Hurt will always be hurt. Hope Mm -hmm. is a complete separate thing and is your friend. (laughs) Yeah, I I made of it my friend. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Uh, I think that's a pretty good uh, segue into. Yeah. Tell us about your story. <laughs> yeah. So, got married at 31, started high, trying to have children right away. It didn't happen. I don't think I need to tell you that every period felt like I was 
grieving the loss of my mom or somebody I loved. It was like insanely painful to get my period. Like my period was a day of crying my entire day. As if they had told me I had lost my baby because I was so excited to become a mom. So uh, we went through one year of naturally trying at home and I was very impatient. And so I went to see my my doctor who uh, then sent me to um, still not a fertility clinic, but a OBGYN specialist. And then she sent me for all the ultrasounds they can send you to and everything was fine. So what does a woman do? Okay, go back home and try again. You know, that's all you can do. Everything is fine. Chris got tested. His sperm was fine. So we tried two years without any help. In the meantime, I, I went to Colombia once and to Peru. I have a, my youngest brother lives in Peru. Mm-hmm. And at both countries, I visited um, OPGYNs. And both of these people told me, you're going to need IVF. But they didn't explain to me why. And that was like they had told me at my, I don't know, I was losing an arm. I was so dramatic. It was so dramatic to me to hear the news that I needed IVF. I was crying. I will never have babies. Um, the reason they both suggested it, it's because I had, I almost died when I was 10 years old. And so I have a massive scar across my abdomen mm. that goes pretty low past my belly button, like almost to my hip bone uh, below that. And so they've all thought, listen, you probably have scar tissue that stops the tubes from, the tubes are supposed to be moving kind of like, um, what shape I made like a like a crab crab will move their hands like mm-hmm. open and close to mm-hmm. help the sperm and the egg kind of move mm-hmm. and so they figure the and, and this was their hypothesis we you probably have scar tissue that stops that movement so it would make sense for you to to do IVF because we could never know for sure that you have that that scar tissue because you would be high risk to do a um, where they would put a something to your belly, a camera to your belly button. To Laparoscopic, just... yeah. Thank you. I'm like, some words. <laughs> the nurse. That word. Oh, you're a nurse. Okay, great. Uh, to look in, and he said like, they would they would be afraid because of the scar tissue. They're like, we might damage something pretty good. So you will be high risk to doing that. We're just going to assume. And so they both told me that two years into my journey, and I was not even nearly ready to go to that level of uh, intrusion in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm one of those doctors owned an IVF clinic. So in my head was like, of course you want me to do IVF. Bye, I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. And I didn't hear them at all. <laughs> uh, long story short, I went to see a naturopathic doctor. I, I've, I've mentioned I'm a yoga teacher as well as a coach. And uh, a, reti- a retired, a former therapist. I don't do therapy anymore, but that was what I was doing at the time. And um, I always believed in natural ways you know, better than uh, regular medicine, even though my life was saved by regular medicine and not not necessarily like uh, natural medicine. However, we tried that. So I stopped eating all foods that that I was uh, by blood work sensitive. We changed our diet. This is when I like legit became insane. Like the cleaning products in my house, the shampoo I was using Mm. to some degree, changing the cleaning products and because they hadn't found anything physically wrong with me, I kept thinking there must be something else wrong with me that nobody can think or see. Uh, and that was incredibly stressful. So I think my anxiety went up quite a bit. I'm going to say another year went by until we got a referral to a fertility clinic. And 
they also said there's nothing wrong. We didn't see anything wrong. Uh, why don't you try an IUI? And so I tried an IUI. I'm like, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. It's not IVF. It's not as expensive. We'll get it done. And we did it. And I was sure I was going to get a baby. I'm like, there's nothing wrong. So just a little bit of help will get me my baby. Mm-hmm. So I'm still operating. Um, yeah, like I've described, I, I have broken my fertility journey in two phases. So I went from like really naive to more naive. Okay. I'm like, I'm going to naturally get pregnant. And then I just thought that a little bit of help will just do it. Nobody had explained to me, not even this doctor, the stats of IUIs and how many you would actually have to do to get even 50% chances of working. We will have to have done five. At that point, I could have paid for an IVF treatment because mm. the cost would have amount. My husband is a numbers guy. And so we just did the math and we're like, okay, this IUI didn't work. Obvious. I, I say obviously because I think that when you're getting an IUI, everybody should be told the stats. And so although some people how it worked the first time and that's amazing the numbers and the stats will suggest that you actually need to do it several times to the point that they now set it for a package of three like you get started with three first because they know you need five minimum minimum to to potentially have some percentage Mm -hmm. anyways that didn't work and i was not about to waste my time doing more i iuis i was ready for uh what was gonna get me a baby Mm -hmm. so we funded our first ivf because in Ottawa, we only have one clinic. Uh, we're not, now we have two, but I think one with, with funding. And uh, they place you in a waiting list that could be anywhere between 14 to 18 months. Wow. That's a super long time for wow. a woman to wait when you have already been waiting, right? Like they don't, like you've been already waiting for so long because you've been trying to have this baby. So my husband and I are both entrepreneurs and thankfully like we're successful in what we do. And so we were able to afford doing our first IVF uh, paying out of our pocket. Mm. And then I had no wait. I could just pay for it. And my name was still on the waiting list. So we went through it and I had four eggs retrieved and only one made it to day three when they did a transfer. And I call him my pojito. Pojito in Spanish is a little chick. So there's a chicken and a chick. And I'm like, it's a little egg. And then it became, you know, it's a pochito. Like I, I want, so he had a name. Well, that name, that nickname. And I loved him. And I, I don't know why I always said he was a boy. I always known I was a boy. <laughs> Mom of boys, I've always said my baby boy. Anyway, so uh, he was he was transferring to my uterus. And it, during the two-week wait, I woke up at four in the morning, one morning. And I just felt him leave. And I cannot tell you how that makes sense but I just felt his presence gone and I woke up my husband I'm like he's gone the baby's gone and he was like you're crazy again (laughs) this this is your anxiety talking you're fine I'm like now I'm telling you we were two now I'm one like I know that for a fact and sure enough uh but they did the blood work because with the progesterone I wasn't necessarily like bleeding yet so I got my progesterone test and I already knew and it was devastating still is to think of that loss mm-hmm. to me it was it I'm not gonna say the saddest because I recently had a loss but that has been one of the most difficult losses because I just knew I had made life and it made me realize how significant for an IVF mom it is to have an embryo period because we've yeah. worked so freaking hard for that tiny little microscopic thing that nobody yeah. calls a baby that was my baby yeah um 
So Pujito has his first ultrasound photo and the only one we have framed in my house. And, and he occupies the space in, in my heart forever. Mm-hmm. And he was my first baby that I know <laughs> that I made, that I know he existed. And, you know, you have to go back a few weeks after to the doctor for the what the fuck happened appointment. Mm-hmm. Yep. With the most condescending voice, he said to me, I'm like, he doesn't speak like that. Like, I don't know why he, you know, people do the yoga voice. <laughs> like, you have them teach you that. And you're like, no, man, just teach in your regular voice. Or like some people put the cashier voice and it's like a different tone. And you're like, I know you don't talk like that to your mom. Just talk to me like you normally. So he had this very, I care voice, but it was so condescending, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, it was to be expected because of your really low ovarian reserve which nobody had told me I had low ovarian reserve so they knew this and I didn't oh my god so probably your eggs are poor quality you are not a good candidate for IVF I was ready I had my wallet like okay so I'll pay for the next one now like are we doing this next mm-hmm. um, and in my naive mind I was thinking they have a better plan like now they know about my body so they'll have a better plan and they will just will try again um and he said to me and to my husband, we were both sitting at his office. Uh, he said, you're not a, a good candidate for IVF. It's probably your eggs. You, you will never be able to, um, to make a baby through IVF and naturally pff, even less chances. So some people think this is an offense, but you should consider egg donor or adoption. He did not. My husband didn't let him finish that sentence. He got up and left the office. He says, I'm done here. Like, God love my husband who can speak his mind. Meanwhile, I'm like crying in front of this guy. And I'm like a very proud human. So crying in front of this doctor. I wanted to call him something else. But this doctor (laughs) was hurt my pride. Okay, like Mm -hmm. Because I was not, it was so far from what I thought was going to happen at that meeting. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't imagine he didn't want my money. <laughs> I didn't imagine he didn't want to keep me. Like he was counseling me out of the clinic. Like we will not do treatment on you. It's what he was saying. Wow. So, but at the same time, I will forever be thankful to this doctor for giving me his opinion because I'm a stubborn human. Like if any of you ladies are stubborn, this is, this is a message for you. You can make your stubbornness go to good use. And that's mm-hmm. what I did at that moment. I picked up my pride from the ground, put it in my purse, <laughs> clear my tears. And I didn't say this to him. I, I, told, I told him thank you because, yeah, social work is my background. So I'm like, be yeah. polite at all costs. But wait, hold on, pause. What did you really want to say to him? I wanted to tell him to go fuck himself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how dare you tell me? Like, how dare you tell me to fucking give up? Like, in my head, this was just one attempt. What do you mean to give yeah. up? But I told myself something very powerful. And that was not you, not this doctor, and not anyone gets to tell me when and how I become a mom. Mm. In other words, he said the magic words, you can't do it. The magic for me, like I thrive on challenge. I'm like, you you don't think I can? Mm. Oh, hold on. You know, this is how I run a half marathon. When I didn't really like running. I'm like, my dad told me he didn't think I could. Like, challenge accepted i've run it twice now just to prove a point like you know i can do it i can I run half marathons. i love it so i said that to myself and i left the office not crying 
my husband was shocked that I that he didn't have to pick me up and deliver. like he thought okay, okay this is gonna be the end of Olga she's gonna be like drama queen over here and so he's following me to the elevator you okay I'm like yeah I'm okay <laughs> we're just gonna go to another clinic we're gonna find a doctor who believes what I believe mm-hmm. end of story and he was like yeah I'm with you so this community is pretty amazing and through this community I was able to to find to talk to find out about this amazing doctor everybody was talking about and he was in Toronto and Miami so I live in Ottawa for those of you listening to me right now who are not Canadian or in the province of Ontario I'm five hours drive from Toronto Mm -hmm. so Toronto is the next largest city has many clinics we have a lot of funding they don't have the waiting list problem that we have in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. So um, somebody told me, listen, if you go to Toronto, you could do your funding one because we're lucky enough in Canada to ha- or in Ontario to have one funded IVF per woman, mm-hmm. which makes no sense. Should be per couple. Mm-hmm. Each, each man and woman get one. Like, why is this a woman only issue? Anyway, I don't like policy. I could rewrite policy on that matter. I agree with you 100% <laughs> on that one too. It's terrible. <laughs> so I did my due diligence and I now... As a businesswoman, I realized this was going to be a business exchange. And so in my mind, I was going to interview doctors and I was going to be going by my gut feeling, <laughs> like who I felt I could trust, because the reality is at my clinic, I couldn't trust them. Mm-hmm. I felt like they didn't have the same. They didn't want me to be a mom as bad as I wanted to be a mom. Mm-hmm. And that's fair. Maybe they, they've been doing the job for too long, but I wanted somebody who was going to be as invested as I was on my goal of being a mom. Mm-hmm. So I've interviewed two doctors who had been coming from women in Ottawa who have been going. And um, one of them saw me on Canada, which is a holiday. And I didn't have to go to Toronto. It was this pre-COVID time, guys. Mm. We did like this Zoom thing with telemedicine. Wow. And first of all, he talked to my husband about hockey for like the first 10 minutes of the conversation. I'm like, I like him. And he's a bit hot. I hope he never listens to this. But he's, you know, I thought he was hot. He kind of looks like my husband. So maybe that's why I thought he was. <laughs> he listened to my whole story. And he said, I'm sure you have endometriosis. And I'm like, I'm sure they would have found that out by now. Like, this is not the first time I go to see a doc. So he's like, okay, you come to Toronto. And we're going to rule out this in, uh, unexplained. You're not unexplained. I'm going to explain why you're not having children. Mm-hmm. And then he told me, and I'm going to be honest with you, this is not going to be easy. But I believe you have a chance. And the, 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 um, what I suggest is that you sign up for three or four IVFs in a row. We're going to do batching. You don't produce a lot of eggs. You don't have a lot of eggs left. You need a lot of hormones. They clearly didn't do anything to your body. So we're going to cut half or minimum stimulation, grab those eggs, every egg count, and we're going to fertilize them, and we're going to try to make you a baby. We're going to um, test them to make sure that they're healthy so you never have to have a broken heart again because we transfer a potentially unhealthy embryo. Mm. I'm like, I love you. You know what? I left that first meeting in full acceptance of whatever my journey had for me. Mm-hmm. It's almost like having the honesty of this is not going to be easy and this is what I suspect has happened. He also said like your surgery as a child probably had something to do with you losing eggs and I had a septic shock. So yeah. My, my blood was poisoned. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so they suspect that's how I lost my, a lot of my eggs or why I had low egg uh, reserve, why I have low egg reserve. Mm-hmm. And uh, although he suspected I had endometriosis, he, he just 
thought that uh, being at the bottom of my egg egg reserve that I I had I had I didn't have a lot of eggs like great quality eggs. Anyways, long story short, I did uh, three rounds of IVF back to back to back. The second one, he calls me into his office and he says, "Oh, so I'm traveling to Toronto, guys. Okay, like this is back to back every two weeks. I'm in Toronto several days." I flew, so some days I'll leave the house at four in the morning to be in the plane for six, and I'll be back at work coaching women at noon. Like nothing happened. Holy shoot! I did all of my steams this way, all of like all of it that way. I, I, you know what? You know how I said I was insane? I think that my husband realized how freaking strong I was and how determined I was. He's like, "How did you? How are you even standing here?" I'm like, "Oh, I want a baby. Have I told you I want a baby? I'll do anything <laughs> for my baby. My baby's in Toronto. No problem. That's where I'm gonna go pick him up." <laughs> uh, I had a very strong mindset through it all, but I can tell you how I got there because I wasn't there always. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the second round, he calls me in and he said, he, had a, he has a super sad face. And I'm like, oh no, what's wrong? He says, you only have one follicle growing. And I'm like, I haven't come to Toronto <laughs> every second day to you know, not have this follicle withdrawn from my body. You're taking it out. And he says, are you sure you want me to do that? Because we can cancel this cycle. And like every egg I have could be my heart of gold. You're taking this egg out. Ladies, I made one embryo every round. The round that made my son was that round. That was my baby. That was my heart of gold. That was my one follicle who had one egg who had my baby boy, Mateo, who's the highlight of my life. Obviously, I adore him. And that was a gut feeling. I'm like, I'm not dismissing one egg. I already have little eggs. Like, no, all of my eggs count and you're taking that egg out. Uh, and I will never regret having said that, obviously, yeah. because all their embryos were unhealthy. We're missing major chromosomes. So uh, so, so that was Mateo. That was my journey to Mateo. We, I, I, after doing the three rounds, so after him, I did one more round because you send them to genetic testing after. So I didn't know at the time that that was going to be my baby boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we uh, tested them, got back the results at only one. And, and, and only here do I say only one, because he's my one. Um, he's not an only one. He's that one. Mm-hmm. The one was ready for me. I took a two-month break so that my body just decompressed from, you know, four rounds of IVF in six months. Mm. And um, we transferred him in January of 2019, and he was born October 7th. He was actually due on Thanksgiving, Canadian Thanksgiving. And um, I was like, no, I want him to be here for Thanksgiving. So I wrote in my calendar that he was going to be born on the 7th, which is my favorite number. Mm-hmm. He was born on the 7th. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is my baby. So I actually named him after our doctor. Mateo is his first name, but Ari is this doctor's first name. And oh. so I wanted to honor him because he believed he believed that we could make Mateo. And so I want my son to forever have a story to tell about this doctor who I think it's so relevant to our family story. You know, he wouldn't be here otherwise oh wow that's the story oh man wow that's such that's such an honorable thing to do to 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 name like the the one doctor that actually believed in you took the time and explained it all amazing to name Mateo after him oh yeah yeah Mateo Ari and he (laughs) Yeah, they've met. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I will forever have nothing but gratitude towards this doctor and um, all the nurses and everybody. But like, he was so significant in my journey because he gave me hope. 
he gave me hope that I could do it. And that's all I needed to somebody else to believe it. And then <clears throat> I co-created. Yeah. Um, you mentioned about your mindset. You said it wasn't always, always strong. Can we loop back to, to that a little bit about like, where were your yeah. doubts? Like, where, how did it get <clears throat> to be how strong it is? And even like very inspirational even Thank now. <laughs> so I'm a mindset coach. <laughs> I'm a mindset coach for women. And here I was suffering through my infertility so much like so I, I need to tell you, you guys are you know in, in the journey so you know how much you you suffer and I decided to not just preach but but also walk the walk so I decided to start putting into practice the things that I had already practiced but not with infertility I hadn't brought my knowledge to my life like my to this part of my life to other parts of my life I had but I hadn't brought it up to infertility I'll tell you a little bit about my mindset. Uh, in my journey, I met a woman. And this woman told me that I was never going to be a mom. That my husband was going to leave me because why will you want to be married? Will he want to be married to a woman who cannot conceive? She told me that I must have done something in a previous life <laughs> that made it be so difficult for me to have babies here because obviously in this life I, I was a good human so it must have been from a past life that I was paying a karma I, she, she told me that um, she told me that I was inadequate and that there was something wrong with me physically, mentally oh, there was something wrong with my marriage that I didn't know about and that's why we couldn't have babies mm -hmm. you guys, I believed every single word she said they became my truth and I was obviously sad and ashamed. And I wouldn't tell anyone that we're trying to conceive. I wouldn't say a word to anybody. So I had everybody ask me, five years anniversary? Wow, when are you guys having babies? Mm -hmm. Like, one of my husband's uncles is incredibly inappropriate and old. He's like, wow, you know you're not getting younger. No shit, I'm not? Man, I thought every birthday I was just like, you know, losing a year of life, like earning a year of life. He's like, no, you're crazy. Here we go with shit people say, right? Anyways, go on. <laughs> so I am a life coach, a mindset coach, and I normally don't disclose the, um, con like I take confidentiality seriously and I don't disclose who tells me things like that, but I will for the purpose of this podcast. Mm -hmm. That woman was myself. I was the one who was talking to myself what? that way. I was telling myself that every step of the way, I would see a pregnant woman and I'll be like, that will never be you. I would go to a baby shower and be like, see all of these things? They're not for you. You will never have a baby shower of your own. I was fucking torturing myself in my own mind. And you see, our results are product of our mind. I knew that as a mindset coach, I knew that, but I had never made the connection to my fertility journey. Mm. somehow because it was physical like fertility was physical I wasn't really adding mindsets to it I had a psychologist I had a naturopath I had a fertility like I had a list an acupuncturist all of them and I didn't have a mindset coach which is what I really needed because my mindset was in the wrong place the entire time I needed evidence to believe that I could be a mom and I forgot that what I needed to do was to believe and then the evidence would come mm. So that's where my mind, that I did my own coach. I self-coached myself out of that incredibly mean conversation I had going on. So I became my own client. <laughs> I coached myself out of my own mental drama. And I proved to myself that, in fact, 
it's not my ment it's not my mindset that brought me Matteo. I can't say that. I can't tell you like fix your mindset and then you'll have a baby. Can't promise anybody a pregnancy. I didn't promise my pregnancy, but I made it pleasant. Mm -hmm. I stopped being my enemy. And in that process, I opened, I was, I was sharing with you before we recorded that I, I, I share my story publicly and the most amazing thing happened. I started getting private messages from people I know and people I don't know telling me their story more than I can tell you mm -hmm. that were inspired to tell me. And they thought it was so brave to be sharing that with people and whatever relief they felt for themselves to know that they were not the only one. I, the day that Matteo was transferred, I had more messages that I had the time to read before my transfer from people all over the world, sending me prayers, good vibes, tell me how much they wish they had been walking my journey. And they just wanted nothing more than for me to have a baby. I had so many tears. I walk into this place. Like they thought probably I was having an intent. I was so happy, but so, I don't know, thankful, honored that, Women around the world, men around the world were praying. I'm, I'm not, I, I don't practice any faith, but I certainly appreciate people sending prayers my way in case they work. I want them. I want, I want all the positivity. Mm -hmm. I honestly believe that having opened up to the community helped me mobilize energy to get my baby boy here. Like he heard us. Okay. My mom wants me. And so he came. Um, it's been the most support that I've ever received in this journey. I felt not alone. And by just telling my story, without coaching anybody, just telling my story, I know I have helped so many people that just listen to the story. And I think that's the power behind telling a story, which is why I think your, uh, your podcast is so amazing, is you're helping people have that voice to, to see themselves elsewhere and to be like, okay, I, there's a group, there's a club of us. Nobody wants to be in this club, but you're not alone. Mm -hmm. And it's healing to, to share your story. Now, every time I share it, I just, I grow a bit more into like, there was purpose in my story. And I had this idea in my head that because I was a helper, like I was a therapist at the time, I completely switched into coaching two years ago before that I was still doing therapy and coaching. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt that I must have overcome it before I could talk about it publicly. Like, so I'm on the other end now. Let me talk about it uh, because because I didn't want to be, be vulnerable. But really, what's so incredible is to share that when you're vulnerable to your own healing and for people to see like, wow, that's normal. That, that's normal. It's not what we see in social media. That is normal. That is normal. Somebody going through the mod. And um, I've tattooed myself here on my wrist a lotus. Mm. it's like in like uh, yeah hard to see but uh that's to remind myself that out of the mud beautiful things grow and the lotus only grows in the mud in the middle of the mud that's where it grows and so that was like just like an image that I kept having in my head is like you know it feels muddy and you just have to go through it but even in the middle of the mud if I was to stay here for another five years something beautiful can grow. And if that's the rebirth of who I am, amazing. And if that's a baby, even better. If it's both, we've got like, <laughs> we've got it all, ladies. Jackpot. And my experience is that it's mo mostly it's both, right? It's, it's we, we just, we were chosen ladies to be here. Doesn't feel good, but eventually it's like, it's great. For parenting is good because that you need that gratitude to just accompany you as uh, the annoyance of parenting shows up and you're like, I really wanted this. I'm so thankful I'm here. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Those midnight feedings. Yep. I wanted you. I really yeah, wanted I you. I really wanted to be sleep deprived, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll keep reminding ourselves that when our children are 18 years old and uh, a teenager giving us some flack. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I feel that I went straight from not being a mom to being a grandma. You know, the grandmas <laughs> let their kids do anything and everything. I'm like, but he's so cute. You, listen, you don't know how hard I work to have him here. He deserves to just be whoever he wants to be now. <laughs> I really have to tame it down to be more of a mom. I'm like, no, you're not allowed to do that. But I just feel in complete amazement at how he made a little boy. Uh, I think it's a great story of resilience and just perseverance. And I really love the reminder of Mm -hmm. like, because I feel so many times, you know, being in this state for so long, you really do get, I like your analogy of being in the mud, of stuck in the mud, you're in the darkness, you're surrounded by it. It's really hard to shift your mindset sometimes. And hopefully someone listening to this will just that little click of like, oh, shit let me try. Let's do this. Like mm. just to shift a little bit of perspective and bring them out of the mud a little into the light. It's possible. And, and like, it, I didn't change, change my circumstances. I simply changed the way I was looking at my circumstances yeah. from not letting a doctor's opinion become my reality. Mm-hmm. Just understanding. Like I have, I'm professional. I have a professional opinion. That doesn't mean that that's the law. <laughs> you could disagree with me and that's that's totally okay right so like i feel that sometimes we give power to others of what to what belongs to us to take responsibility for our own emotional well-being to what goes on in our thinking and i will say having coached as many women as i have now in this journey to change their mindset that they're their worst enemies it's not the doctor they're pointing the finger at it's not their husbands it's not their diagnosis it's themselves mm-hmm. they are making it living hell to yeah. be in their experience. Uh, and we find we think that's the easiest way. And so the women tell me like, oh, okay, it's so hard to be like you're being, like to, to just have that healthy mindset. And I'm like, trust me, it is way harder to go about life the way you are going, where you're just hitting yourself in the head every every opportunity you have, like stealing hope from yourself, like saying, let's give up. Let's just walk away from this all together. I suck. You know, like I was insulting myself every single day. Mm-hmm. I think it's so hard to with medical professionals, especially mm-hmm. because you rely on them for their expertise. Mm-hmm. So if they're telling you something, you are more apt to believe that they're, they're right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I, I think it's difficult for a lot of women, for a lot of just people in general, it doesn't even need to be fertility related mm-hmm. to fight that opinion, to fight that view and say like, mm, something doesn't feel right. I want a second opinion, or I need time to process this to think about what you're saying to me. A lot of people just blindly will follow what their medical professionals say to them and do what it is that they're guiding them to do. Yeah, especially in Canada, because we don't pay for our medicine. I feel that we just feel like this is what I've been giving. This is the doctor that I've been assigned. And so I do feel that we lose, like you don't see, you see far, like, so I come from Colombia where uh, medicine is private, largely private. And people go for a second or third or fourth opinion till like if everybody else gave you that same opinion, like, okay, fine, I'll believe that, you know, that's what I have. It is a common practice to go for more than one opinion. It's mm-hmm. very foreign concept here. It's yeah. very, foreign. So it's very like, I got a sign. This is what they told me. Now I would say I had some experience <laughs> with doctors being wrong. I almost died because I missed diagnosis. So I think that in the back of my mind, I'm like, 
I had made doctors humans a long time ago. Mm -hmm. In my mind, doctors are other humans who can make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And so I think that helped me just to see them not as like God, but humans. And Mm -hmm. like you were saying, every body is different and Mm -hmm. our journeys are all unique and we don't always fit the cookie cutter mold. And Mm -hmm. sometimes you got to try things a little bit different to get your results that you want because we're not always going to follow that a protocol b protocol or c protocol Mm -hmm. that's it yeah so i think that even for anybody especially in canada to learn to self-advocate you're not creating conflict you're just making sure that you've turned every especially well that was my approach to motherhood i was ready to do to turn every rock that i could have like i needed to come to a place that if i was going to move to adoption or egg donor Consciously, I could put my mind at ease saying I have physically, mentally and financially done everything that I was able to do. Mm -hmm. Like I would look at my son today and say, you know, I've done everything for you that I could do. If you mess it up now, that's that's now on you. (laughs) (laughs) I can't tell you how much that resonates with me. Yeah, it really does, because Mm -hmm. I am very comfortable in saying that now after seven and a half years, I've literally exhausted every option that exists in my world and in our country, mm-hmm. um, you know, to get to where I am. So absolutely. I, I think that you need to feel that within yourself. So the only way to do that is to advocate for yourself, like you're saying, and, you know, go for those second opinions, which mm-hmm. we've said in, you know, other episodes and stuff for those just starting out that it's, it's okay. Do it. Yeah. yeah. And you're not <laughs> stuck, especially in funded cycles. Yeah. exactly you're not talking to like people hear me talk and they want to assume I have a lot of money and too that oh it must have been easy for you to travel it wasn't none of it was easy it was an inconvenience like you think I want to do my treat my ultra my ultrasounds were actually the first, first 12 weeks of my pregnancy I was going to Toronto every two weeks for my ultrasounds you know oh. inconvenient 100% worth it also 100% right so like it's your mindset, like, okay, this is what I got to do. This is what I got to do. And I always looked at my nieces and nephews and I couldn't put a price tag on them. You mm-hmm. know, like, mm-hmm. tell me how, how much is this baby? Like, what will you pay to see him? Mm-hmm. What? So, that, so that, that will feed my own inner dialogue. Like, yeah, you'll pay what you need to pay to see your baby if you can. Obviously, I don't suggest people to like go into massive debt. Like, it has to make sense. That's why it all has to align. For your resource that you feel you have done what you can possibly do within your realm of possibilities. And that, in my opinion, will give you the acceptance to move past the next step, whatever that is for you, including the this this is the end of our journey with trying to conceive, you know, that, that that's respectful, respectable as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because it doesn't always end with a happy ending, right? No. And not adoption and surrogacy and donor eggs, embryos, all of that other options. They're not always the right options for everyone. And whatever the decision is, those are the right decisions for you to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I'm so inspired by. I your know. Story. I'm like so pumped. <clears throat> for anybody listening, please believe that what you want is accessible to you. I think that was my biggest, and, and, and it is the biggest mindset shift that I try to help the women that I coach do. We stop believing that it's possible because we have all these evidence that says otherwise. So now we're just fighting our own belief system that says, yeah, but you had lost two months ago. Yeah, but that didn't work. So we're constantly saying, I want this and 
at this, in the same breath, we're saying, yeah, but I don't believe it can happen. And I have like this massive mental blockage that says, what I want is not accessible to me. So I challenge all of you listening to act and behave like the fertile woman. Start saying it. I am fertile. Mm-hmm. I am a mom. Because if you're doing what you're doing, you have already proven that you've got it in you. You are a mom. Yeah. You know, and that pregnancy is, it's uh, once you get pregnant, then you've got some serious anxiety throughout your pregnancy because mm. you're always afraid of losing. It doesn't stop. Like your breath. Yeah. It's something now, unfortunately, that we are stuck with for the rest of our lives infertility will never go away it's like we're branded with it and it we will carry the scar of infertility on our heart for Mm -hmm. our entire lives it will never go away it will never go away so I I say it's my pet I take it for walks it goes with me where I go but I walk it she doesn't walk me like infertility doesn't take me for a walk I am still in charge yeah, uh, but it will for sure, and uh, it's changed me. When when Matteo was born, he he didn't cry, uh, so he, was, he ended up being a C section because four days labor wasn't enough for him to want to come out the regular way. Oh, um, and he didn't cry. I had time to ask twice, why hasn't he cried yet? And so I didn't realize that, like when you don't push them out, like they really have to like do something to them for them to start crying. They prep them. They're like, we're getting him ready for what? Just Frick, like, is he breathing? Can anybody tell me? But once he started crying, then Chris and I, it's the loudest that I've ever heard anybody cry. Mm. We were a mess. We were like, I I, I don't think we realized how stressed we were throughout the pregnancy till that moment Mm. that we felt like, holy fuck, we made it. We're parents. We're parents. (laughs) We made it. The relief is like, oh my God. And then they gave him to me and I'm like, I had planned these beautiful words I was going to say to him, like when he was born of, you know, like I love writing. So I'm like, I'm going to tell him like, I'm your mother. And I've been thinking and one thing, all I said was like, oh my God, I made a white baby. Because I'm dark, I'm darker than most. My husband is pretty white. And he was like, you can see his veins. You can still see his veins. He's so white. And my second thought, which I think is very relevant for all of us in infertility was, so this is what my other babies will have looked like. Like, oh. I think that in those moments, in, in that intense moment of happiness, you also have grief for your losses. I thought yeah. of my Pujito. I thought of all my other embryos that didn't make it, that I couldn't ever get to see their face. Yeah. And so even in those moments, it never freaking goes away. You still have those scars and you just learn to live with them. You know, intense gratitude, and intense pain for what for what wasn't that's my scale we're always trying to balance on right that is a great story oh my gosh yeah i i share that one often i do uh palliative care support uh here in ottawa for the children's hospital and that's one story that the social workers are like can you tell that story again tell them tell them tell them that story because i think it's such a good um way of talking about grief how it never really leaves you and i think in the infertility world we minimize grief like it was only an embryo it was just a failed ivf don't ever tell me this is a failed ivf i lost a baby Mm -hmm. that i work so hard to make Mm -hmm. you know that i paid so much money to make that Mm -hmm. that like it was so intentional we 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 put so much intention to making this baby Mm -hmm. and that loss it's tiny in in real size but it's massive in our hearts mm-hmm. oh, absolutely. so i'm 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 team do not minimize your grief just 
um, value it for what it is. It's a great loss. And, and, and then just, you know, have the space for your heart to just heal. Olga, you like are, when you speak, I can just listen to you speak forever. There's such powerful words. You offer support to everyone. Like who was supporting you? My mom, my mom influences me in more ways than I think she knows. Uh, she has a tough loss, like the doctor is brutally honest and tells me like, you can't take this way. My husband and the community, guys, the community. I was never this like open before until I realized I didn't need to be perfect, that I could show up to my audience because I have an audience and tell them, guess what? I'm sad. I'm really sad. Or I'm trying really hard and then have all my clients and through my last IVF, because I'm crazy enough to do it one more time. I just did an IVF in May of this year same doctor, same clinic, mm-hmm. and we made a baby girl, which is what I was going for. I'm like, I'm here to make a baby girl. They all laugh. I'm like, okay, whatever. They call me from genetics. <laughs> you must be a witch. You're having a baby girl. And uh, she didn't make it past transfer either. And mm. and she was a healthy embryo. I had clients send me coffee. I am a big coffee lover. And no matter what is happening in my life, I'm always drinking coffee. Mm-hmm. Pregnant or not pregnant, coffee is part of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had clients and me coffee I had flowers my sister drew me a beautiful rainbow that's now Anna's that Anna was our little girl's name mm. that my son grabs and brings to my bedroom in the morning he's like Anna he refers to Anna like he's not he's turning two in two weeks uh he knows who his sister is we talked about her she existed you know mm. I just feel that having opened up made me face my emotions and have the courage to be there for me Mm-hmm. that I couldn't let myself down now because I was telling it to others. And that turned the eyes on me, the spotlight was on me, and then I turned to be the best coach that I could possibly have. Mm-hmm. You know, like I just used my own knowledge and abilities to coach myself out of my mental drama and being my, my, my friend. Thank you, infertility. I don't think I would have ever turned to be my, my best friend. Mm-hmm. ever that's often what they say like what we would tell your friend you should tell to yourself and often I can tell Al a whole bunch of stuff but I won't be able to tell myself the same thing it's not because you can't because you haven't set that intention you haven't noticed the importance and you haven't noticed how far of a reach you could have should you do that once you taste it once you see your reach what happens to you when you turn to be your best friend holy shit yeah. you're like why have I ever not done this forever like this is the best thing like oh you don't like I'll just tell you this quick story and then I know I talked too much but I was oh. uh maybe two three weeks after we lost uh Anna I walk into the bay which is a big store here in in, in Ontario I guess with my son so he's still in the stroller I'm walking him and I see a super pregnant woman and I'm fine I've, this has never been a trigger for me to see pregnant ladies. Uh, but then she's holding on to a baby girl's dress. And oh. I had an automatic thought. I'll tell you what the automatic thought. But in the moment, all I knew is that I was crying. Like, so I texted my mom. I cry like a baby. I'm at the bed and I'm crying like a baby. So she's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I saw a pregnant woman holding on to baby girl's clothing. And so my mom said, you're still healing. I'm like, yep, I'm still healing. I had to do the back end of the mindset. So what was I thinking? What thought did I have when I saw that woman? Because that's not a sad, that's not a sad, sad view, right? Like a pregnant woman holding on to clothes. That's not sad. Mm-hmm. Is that I told myself that was almost you, but that wasn't you. 
and that will never be you. That was your last chance and you didn't get it. That's what I told myself. If I hadn't stopped to, to, to ask myself, what did I tell myself that made me cry? Because I bu- we're like bullies at school. We make each other cry. We made, we made ourselves cry. Mm-hmm. As soon as I noticed that, I took myself for coffee. <laughs> you <need> a friend <laughs> right now. You know what? I'm going to take you for coffee. Here. You had a rough day. Let's just go for coffee. Aww. So I felt a lot better. I then I came home that. and my mom had bought me an orchid. <laughs> she said, this will keep our baby girl alive. And I'm like, yes, this will. So I just feel that once you catch on to what it does to you, to be your friend, your genuine good friend, mm-hmm. you, you won't turn that back. It's a great feeling. Yeah, absolutely. It could sh- change your life. You wear BFF necklaces for myself. Legit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, when did you buy flowers for yourself last? You know, like fresh flowers and your favorite ones. Never. No, never. do it. I challenge you. Do it. Do it this week. Go buy. <laughs> well, whenever you record for like, go and buy yourself flowers. The most beautiful ones, because I went once and then I went for the cheapest possible bouquet because <laughs> it was for me. Had it been for a friend, I would have been like, I got to look better than this. Yeah. And so I, I added the price to like, go back and find the one that you would actually give to some. So I bought myself the most beautiful with a little note that said, I love you. So Aww. I came home and put them on in my, in my dining table. And my husband was like, she need me to buy flowers for her. <laughs> Who's this person saying they love you? <laughs> yeah, this is first because I'm like, oh, I bought it for myself. Card too. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I love me. Yeah. <laughs> or I'm trying to love me, imperfect and all, with infertility and all, which was something that I I needed to to do to love myself with infertility and all that I needed. I didn't need to be perfect to love myself. I love it. Oh, oh my, my goodness. <laughs> and so usually at the end of our episode, we sort of ask our guests, what would you say to someone going through this? Or like, what would you say to yourself kind of starting off? But I feel like in order to answer this question, you need to rewind back to the beginning, listen to the whole thing again, and then remember all of these good tidbits that you heard throughout there's, the entire episode. Yeah, so many good nuggets. Too many, too yeah. many. But is there anything that's like stuck in your mind that you really feel that you haven't mentioned already that you like have to tell mm-hmm. us? Don't give up. Mm-hmm. Don't give up to whatever that means to you. <clears throat> I, I, I am still not ready to give up. You know, I still don't know what my next steps are. And that's okay. I'll wait until I know what that is mm-hmm. uh, with clarity and with like love. Like I just let love move me. And so I'm just going to wait for love to come get me. Cause right now I'm like in limbo. So the not giving up was, the, is the only thing that I know for certain that has allowed me to just think, look for what else, yeah. what's next. That's it. I know it can get hard and I know it's, it, it seems like the easy thing to do, but giving up is not the easy thing to do unless you're actually ready to move past. And that's not giving up. That's just making a decision mm-hmm. that you have made. Oh, but the giving absolutely. up puts you in a place of like, I lost this battle and you're a fucking warrior. Just remember that <laughs> you are not a loser here. You've had a lot to deal with and you are in every right to make any choice you want, but not from a place of lost and giving up, but from a place of love that's that's yeah. how i see it yeah i think that's so so powerful it so is powerful yeah that's great and like even for myself just you saying that i can i remember thinking so many times throughout the years like why can't i just let this go why can't i just move past this why can't i just give up why can't i just walk away and i think for me and i used to say to myself like 
why can't I let go of something that I want so badly? And it's you just, I wasn't ready to, and I just wasn't in that appropriate, you know, mindset to do that. But yeah, I think recognizing the difference between making that conscious decision for whatever choice versus giving up, mm-hmm. I think. And that, that is huge. That's an awesome takeaway for someone. Yeah. I am so thankful. I think we are all so thankful that mm. um, the stars have perfectly aligned and that you could be our, on our podcast and yes. get your story out to uh, the world, our, our tiny little world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we're so grateful to have you on our, our uh, podcast today and for you to share your story with us. It's so inspirational. Um, and I look forward to just continuing to follow you and seeing where you're you know, your journey ends up as you know, your story's not over yet. And um, I think that if anyone needs a mindset shift, like you're the gal to go to. I think something we don't think often of is mindset support in our trying to conceive journey or um, post to trying to conceive journey after having um, had the trauma of infertility. And I, I think that more power should be given to it. Um, perhaps even more than counseling uh, as, as a therapist, as a former therapist, I can honestly say that there is space for both and you can do both, but a mindset shift will help you now today, like mm-hmm. today, listening to this podcast. I talked to you about my mindset. You probably got impacted in some way that you're going to think differently. And that's going to have an impact in your life as of right now. And so I think that that's something that we as women need to become better at just managing our mindset in general, but, but especially in this very strenuous journey that just gets us uh, emotionally and then the mind just follows. So thank you Olga so much for joining us today on the podcast and sharing your inspiring story of perseverance and reminding us to never give up. Your story is proof that changing your mindset can definitely change your life. Remember everyone with any project, including the baby project, you must take things one step at a time. Got a question for us? Or perhaps you would like to share your story and be a guest on our podcast. Feel free to connect with us by emailing us at thebabyproject underscore at outlook.com or DM us on Instagram at thebabyproject underscore. Thanks for listening.